they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Recently, I discovered some old hard drives at my house. And um, when I, I plugged them into my computer, I found all sorts of uh, goodies. One thing that, um, that meant a lot to me, though, is that I found a, a group of pictures. And these pictures were of uh, Mindy and me um, over almost the past 10 years of, of, of our marriage. It was a strange thing to see ourselves, our family, in all of these different iterations of our life and different jobs through different housing situations uh, without kids when we still looked sane and in our right minds. Um, the pictures, though, that meant the most to me were the pictures of us in the earliest days of our marriage, at the very beginning. I remember seeing a picture of, um, of us with our friends down in St. Pete on the weekend of our wedding. And I remember seeing a picture of the apartment that we returned to um, after our honeymoon. Something about these pictures of my family over the past 10 years grounded me. It gave me um, a sense of orientation in a time right now during this pandemic, during the 40-something day lockdown, when I feel quite disoriented. When I'm with my family these days, it's um, uh, on lockdown, that is. Some days I'm thanking God all day long for the, the experience of being with my two little girls and having all this extra special time with them. The next moment, though, I'm praying that God would ship me out to sea. And so I'm disoriented. I wake up. We don't even know what, what day it is. I'm sure you're experiencing the same thing. And so to see these images of the Bales family through all these years, good and bad, it oriented me. It reminded me who I am, who we are as a family. It encouraged me. Things won't always be this way, etc. Today, in our Acts reading, we have St. Luke offering us a family picture, a picture of the family of God in its earliest, earliest days. The Holy Spirit of God has just descended upon the people. Peter has just preached the sermon of his life and 3,000 people have converted to Christianity. Right about now, as these people start to do life together as brand new Christians, a mass of people, Luke, as it were, snaps a picture. And here we are looking at it all these 2,000 years later. As we do, my hope is that you would be informed like that you would discover what, what was the early church up to, what, what was life like for them, that you would be encouraged, especially now in a time of discouragement when the church's identity seems confusing at best. We can't even meet together or we're doing church in some brand new strange ways. 
And finally, that maybe you would be inspired, like Luke says in verse 42, that you would be devoted in a new way to continue these, whatever it is that we're gonna see in this picture in Acts 2. Here's your cheat sheet for looking at the picture of the early church in Acts chapter two that Luke gives us. Here's your cheat sheet, four things. Four things you'll see in this snapshot of the early church that have stayed true about God's people all through time and space in every country and every culture. Four things, hallmarks, characteristics, defining features that have given the church her identity. Look at verse 42. They, the new Christians, the Christian community in Jerusalem there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's the first thing, truth, apostles' teaching, Bible in shorthand. You know, um, we come to church and there is beauty here and there is reverence here and there is silence and stillness and there is community, there are good deeds. Um, and yet this is not all there is to church. In fact, these things in many ways are tangential to the main thing. The main thing it, uh, about the church is we have a content of truth. We have a message to tell, to bear witness to. And that content was deposited, was handed down to us through the apostles. Where did the apostles get it? They got it from Jesus. Apostolic teaching has always been a primary feature of the church of Jesus Christ. It keeps us grounded in the knowledge of the gospel. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and also to fellowship. Here's the second thing, fellowship. We hear the word fellowship and we think, oh, a group of people out on the golf course or something, a group of people around uh, at, at a bar maybe. But in the scriptures, this word fellowship, koinonia, has a, a very nuanced meaning. It's not just a group of people hanging out. It is nothing less than a group of human relationships that have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ human relationships that look completely different from just people hanging out at a golf course because of their depth and their self-sacrifice, their um, spirit-infused conversations. The idea of Christian fellowship is that it's the relationships among God's brand new people these relationships, by the way, this koinonia fellowship will last into eternity because it's something that God has done and we have not. So they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching Jesus Christ and to fellowship, relations, relationships only made possible by Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing, and the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. It's uh, a complicated, um, it's too complicated to, to go into uh, with this short time. 
But whether or not Luke here is referring to just a normal, ordinary dinner together, where the early Christians just did a lot of meals together, which makes sense because earlier in Luke's writing in his gospel, Jesus is always eating meals with his disciples and with others. So maybe this right here, breaking of bread means it's an ordinary meal, but it's almost impossible to not imagine Luke having something Eucharistic in mind. Wasn't it just last week in Luke's gospel that we read this same phrase, the breaking of bread? It was when Jesus broke the bread after his walk with his disciples to Emmaus that they recognized him. Something mystical, unique, powerful, transformative happened in the breaking of the bread. So I would suggest to you that this is not just a normal meal. The way the, the Roman Catholic Catechism talks about the Eucharist is helpful here. It, it discusses different names that the Eucharist has been called. One of the names for it listed is the breaking of the bread. And maybe this is the easiest explanation for what Luke is talking about happening in this snapshot of the earliest church. That in its very beginning phases, we get a look at right now what the Eucharist was before it, before it became what we know it today, a succinct um, ritualistic um, um, moment of encountering Jesus. In its earliest expression, the breaking of the bread called forth Jesus' last supper. It called forth the unity and the fellowship of the believers. It, it, had, it had in its, in, in, in seed form, all the meanings that Eucharist has for us now, but this is Eucharist in its earliest days. It's really neat to see that, isn't it? Even in the earliest church, the Lord's table was central. And that's been the case all through time and space. All through time and space, Christians in a way unlike any other way have been encountering the risen Jesus in the breaking of the bread. This has been one of the more heartbreaking aspects of the pandemic as a clergy person is not to be able to celebrate the Eucharist with you. Our hearts long for that and one day we will be back together for that purpose. Here's the fourth and final component, key defining feature of God's church through time and space that we see in, in the church's earliest days, the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice the article there, the prayers, not just to prayers. There's a sense already here in the earliest days of the Christian church that Christians are praying together in liturgical ways, in set ways, set times and places. Um, most likely these are prayers that they learned together before they converted to Christianity. They, that they, these were Jewish prayers perhaps. Now given a Christian meaning, we, we, we don't know, but about a hundred years later or so, St. Justin is explaining what Christians do to a pagan emperor. And he says something like, 
And then we say our prayers. And what do we pray for? We pray for everything. We pray for everyone, not just ourselves. We pray for the world. The church's intercessory role for the world is the fourth component of its identity that has never changed since the beginning. As Jesus lifts our prayers to the Father, we lift the prayers of the world to Jesus. We stand, as it were, mediating God's presence on earth as the body of Christ. We mediate the presence of God to the world. We lift up its burdens. We lift up its pandemics. We lift up its joys. So the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, four components of what it means to be the church, and that hasn't changed. And we find that in this snapshot of Christians in their earliest days. I want to close by reminding you that these components are not just for us as a church, as Christians. It's not just so that we feel good about ourselves as an institution. Oh, we've got these four things. Let's make the checklist and then we know what we're doing, what we're supposed to do. These four components actually give us our identity and give us ballast and give us um, gravitas in the world so that we can be on mission, so that we can carry out the mission that God's called us to, so that we can look beyond ourselves to those who don't know Jesus. Think about it this way. Every one of these four components reveals Jesus Christ to the world in a unique way, right? The apostles' teaching, it's, it's Jesus himself. It's the story of his life, death, and resurrection, fellowship. It's the love of Jesus embodied in the community. We show that to the world and we invite them into it. The breaking of bread, it's encountering Jesus in his sacrifice specifically, in the breaking of his body. And then in the prayers, it's his intercessory role for us. We offer that to the world. So we want the world to see Jesus and the end result of doing this, of being this kind of church that cares for and holds in front of ourselves these four components will lead, we hope, to this. Look at verse 47, the end of the passage. Luke concludes, they were praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number, those who were being saved. Added to their number, those who were being saved. This is our hope. Beyond just being informed by this early picture of Christianity, encouraged and inspired by it, we want the Lord to use us as a church to bring others to know him. The great quote from Archbishop William Temple comes to mind, that the church is the only institution who exists for those who are not yet its members, who are not yet its members. This is our hope. We can't wait to be back together again and to get to do all of these things in person, especially celebrate the Eucharist. But until that day, would you be encouraged and inspired to hold fast, to be, in Luke's words, devoted 
to these things. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.